an eight-man tag team main event. Sting and Lex together in tag team action against the Strider brothers. And speaking of Sting and Lex, and speaking of the horsemen, I have never seen anything as what I witnessed last week on this program, the blatant attack from the New World Order. Hulk Hogan caused it all, you know, living in the age of anxiety to err is human, but to forgive is really stupid. Arn Anderson and Flair better unite with Sting and Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm just going to let you know right now that I am not the fifth member of the New World Order, which is the, what we're going to be figuring out this week, apparently, if we're going to believe Ted DiBiase, which I, I'm always kind of 50-50 on. Well, that is a big relief to me that you're not going <laughs> to stab me in the back. You, I mean, you told me you're not, so. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm trustworthy. Well, apologies to our listeners. It has been kind of a long break uh, since you last heard from us. Uh, by the end of the show, you'll know at least a part of why that is. We've got kind of a big event planned all this week mm -hmm. uh, with some fun follow-up episodes that we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, also, it just April was kind of a crazy month. Both my kids' birthday parties were in that time and just a lot going on. We had, Dave, we had a, honest to God, it's crazy. Today was, uh, yesterday was 80 and today is in the mid-70s. Two weeks ago, there was like three feet of snow on the ground. Right. We went from zero to 60 on the from winter to summer in a heartbeat here in Minnesota. It was nuts. Yeah. And in uh, Hudson, I think in a matter of about 10 days or two weeks, I had both a uh, blizzard warning and like a heat warning, <laughs> which is madness. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. We, we promise that we'll try to get a little more regularity with the schedule here uh, going on out. But we hope that the events uh, that we've put around this one-year anniversary of Nitro Make It Worth It. Now, before we do get into the show, though, I want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out at Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Today is September 2nd, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the UTC Arena in Chattanooga, Tennessee, in front of 5,893 fans 5180 of whom paid for a total gate of $63,040. This is the 51st episode of WCW Monday Nitro, and it is being billed as the first anniversary Nitro, as the original episode aired September 4th, 1995. We are continuing to build to the NWO versus WCW War Games match at Fall Brawl, and of course anxiously awaiting the big reveal promised to us last week by Ted DiBiase, a fifth man to join the NWO. Yeah, and that's important because, I mean, if we're assuming at this point Ted DiBiase is the fourth member, which, to be fair, has not been officially announced yet or anything sure, like yep. that, even if he is, we don't get the immediate impression that he is going to be in the ring. So, really, the NWO is still looking for another person to fulfill a four-man roster for right. the War Games. So, we only got two weeks left until War Games, so we need to know who exactly is going to represent the New World Order against WCW. Now, to start the show off, we get the same intro sequence that we've had all of Nitro's run, which was a little bit of a surprise for me. I thought here would be a good opportunity to swap Hogan out 
for a black and white heel Hollywood Hogan. Oh sure. Uh, but no, we're still we're still running up. You know, week to week, I always think like, okay, they they've got to be fully committed to the black and white H- Hollywood Hogan now. Like, right. But no, the intro untouched. <laughs> I think we should be thankful Vader's still not in there. <laughs> That's true. Tony Giovanni welcomes us to tonight's celebration, not only of Nitro closing the books on one year and beginning a new chapter, but also uh, it's Labor Day 1996, Dave. Uh, Say something about that. What's your favorite <laughs> Labor Day memory? <laughs> Tony, I, no. I, I was I was trying to remember the, the whole not wearing white. Is that on Labor Day or is that after Labor Day? I think it's after Labor Day. So next week we should watch and see who's wearing white. Yeah. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think later on we see Colonel Robert Parker, which brought yeah. that up to me because he's like white on white on white <laughs> at all times. Well, speaking of fashion faux pas, Tony is back in the insane shirt that he wore a few weeks ago with the Southwestern theme and the collar that's one color on one side of his face yeah. and a different. Uh, I don't normally notice if the announcers are wearing the same thing. Like it doesn't make that much. But these guys just dress so insanely. Like if Larry shows up in that polo shirt where it's just a print of like hundred dollar bills again, <laughs> like I'm going to notice because that's an insane shirt for a human being to wear. Right. <laughs> it's just, it's not that they're wearing something crazy. It's yeah. like the level of crazy. <laughs> Tony mentions the assault on last week's Nitro by the NWO. And Larry gets his first words of the show by saying that when you're living in the age of anxiety to err is human and to forgive is really stupid (laughs) wow strong start by larry zabisco nice we get a replay of last week's nwo antics spray painting the broadcast truck before replays of ted dibiase's surprise appearance tony promises us that later we'll see what dibiase did counting four and then five and mouthing next week but i don't know why we need to see it later since tony just described the exact clip (laughs) in full (laughs) tony points out that the next week referred to by dibiase is this week oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) larry says that what wcw lacks against the nwo is a leader like hollywood hulk hogan larry recommends that the wcw guys look to rick flair the most experienced of the bunch and follow his example ddp is out in blue and black pants and matching vest some kids at ringside hold up fall brawl t-shirts they were clearly given by wcw (laughs) (laughs) and das wunderkind alex wright is out next uh hitting his usual backflip off the top turnbuckle as part of his entrance tony says that tonight we're also going to see the giant in action as well as the macho man and here to call all of our action is our own wunderkind Hey, and that works because you're uh, you're mighty German in your yeah, ancestry, I believe. Th- there we go. It's Dave Amantor. Okay. Well, right before the match starts, I like that Larry makes a point that the NWO may have created themselves a common enemy last week by attacking both the Four Horsemen and Sting and Lex Luger. So we begin with a lockup that DDP quickly floats over into a wrist lock as Alex Wright's music keeps playing for a few extra seconds, which is fine with me because it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's a great theme. That's (laughs) played the whole match. Do it ECW style. Right. Paige yanks Wright to the mat twice by the hair, but Das Wunderkind kips up both times. An Irish whip into the ropes is reversed by Wright, who hits DDP with a spin wheel kick. And a clothesline sends DDP over the top rope, giving Paige the quick disqualification victory. Or not. Wright flies over the top onto Paige and then unloads with punches. <laughs> Tony Schiavone suggests that Wright is fighting for the honor of the whole Guerrero family, which is funny because Alex Wright is not a member of the Guerrero family. He is not even close. Not even close. There's two of them on the roster. One of them is not Alex Wright. <laughs> right. Wright hits a slingshot splash from the apron for a two count. 
Both men go off the ropes and Wright tries for a cross body block, but Page ducks, causing Alex to hit the top rope chest first. DDP chokes right on the middle rope, giving us the classic, look, Ma, no cavities, to the benefit of the viewing audience. <laughs> a tilt-to-whirl slam, which the crowd loved, only gets Paige a two-count, and actually it wasn't a very good tilt-to-whirl slam, so um, I think it's... And Paige is just over. Yeah, that's true, and this crowd you'll see later on, it's, it's a pretty hot crowd, too, mm-hmm. so... Yep. Uh, we then get a sit-down power bomb that gets another two-count for DDP. DDP then tries to go for the diamond cutter, but Alex reverses into a German suplex attempt, but has to settle for a belly-to-belly suplex for a two-count. Wright maintains the advantage in the corner, but when he backflips off Page's chest, DDP kicks Das Wunderkind in the gut and quickly hits the diamond cutter. At this point, the pinfall is academic. So we have a, a pretty pretty good back-and-forth match between DDP and Das Wunderkind, but DDP gets the victory. Yeah, the crowd, uh, as they do normally over the past few months that we've seen, they go nuts for that diamond cutter. They love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, DDP yells at Chavo Guerrero, his upcoming pay-per-view opponent, through the camera before we go to some replays. After the match, it's Mean Gene time. Will Alex Wright get a chance to speak after Gene cut him off last week following the no contest with Chris Jericho? (laughs) Will DDP get a chance to address Chavo in a solid promo? No, sir. It's time to speak with senior referee Nick Patrick again. All right. I thank you very much, Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco. I'm here with referee Nick Patrick. Nick, I don't want to belabor the subject of uh, your integrity, but again, even in this match, I couldn't help but notice a little slow on the draw. A little slow on the draw. Well, why don't you watch it back on replay, just like all the other matches, all the other controversy that you have stirred up. You're the man that stirred it up. Now, you say there's controversial calls. If they're that controversial, why am I still here? They've all been reviewed by WCW. I'm still here. Randy Anderson, a couple of weeks ago, he blows a call with Hulk Hogan and uh, Ric Flair. You all over his case? No, you're on my case. You've been on my case awful hard, and I'm sick, and I'm tired of it, Gene Okerlund. You've been spreading lies about me, and I'm here to tell you to your face and to all you people out there, the things that you've been hearing about me are a lie. You're calling me a liar? That's exactly what I'm calling you. That is- I am here to enforce the law. And that's what I'm going to do to the letter of the law. Doesn't matter how big you are or who you are. If you're in the ring with me, you better follow the rules. I think I've just been called a liar. Stay tuned. We've got more Nitro coming up after this. Don't go away. Gene says that Patrick was slow on the draw, but Patrick once again puts the onus on Gene, saying clearly WCW doesn't see a problem. Only Gene does. When Randy Anderson allegedly blew the call at Clash of the Champions between Hogan and Flair, why didn't Gene get on his case? Of course, Randy Anderson had been knocked unconscious when Hogan supposedly submitted to that figure four, so I'm not sure how that's comparable. (laughs) (laughs) He blew the call because he was out cold. Yeah. Patrick says that Gene has been lying to everyone, which barely phases Gene, who asks, (laughs) are you calling me a liar? (laughs) Patrick says, yes, and Gene just stands calmly and lets Patrick finish, and then they head to the back without any kind of protestation by Gene at all. It's fair play. I am a well-known liar. (laughs) Also, there's this impression that uh, Okerlund is suggesting that uh, Nick Patrick was like not doing great officiating during that match that we just had. In which mm-hmm. I, I don't know what he's referring to. Yeah, there was. he says he was slow on the draw, but at no point was he anything of the sort during that particular right. match. We go to a commercial, and <laughs> these commercials 
feature a fantastic commercial with Gene Okerlund and Marcus Alexander Bagwell who want to sell you a long sleeve button up denim WCW Nitro shirt mm-hmm. for the low low price of thirty nine ninety five and another seven ninety five in shipping. <laughs> wow. This it was a lot of fun. I there's not really like much to say about it. It was just very cheesy, very nineties. And just an odd pairing of Gene and Marcus Bagwell, like, riffing and trying to look like they're having fun together. Right, and Bagwell suggesting that the ladies just go crazy (laughs) for that denim shirt. And that kind of brought up a point to me. I was like, how come, since um, the announcers tend to wear, like, denim-looking clothes, why are they not wearing the merchandise? That's a good point. When we come back from commercial, we see Mean Gene again, and he's this time in the locker room with Colonel Robert Parker and Sister Sherry. Welcome back to more WCW Monday Nitro, and of course we are back live right now with Sister Sherry, lovely on this Labor Day evening, and Colonel Parker, now the Harlem Heat have got a title defense coming up here in just a moment or two for the WCW Tag Team. You know something, the Harlem Heat's on their own tonight. I came here wooing Twinkle Eyes tonight. You know, Twinkle Eyes, I brought you some presents here tonight. You might want to look in this first one right here. What's the occasion, Colonel? I told Twinkle Eyes there I was someday going to take her to my farm. We was going to sit out on that front porch there, front porch swing, and talk over some good times we're going to be having together in the future. Get it on up and then I wrap that nice thing. What team. is that? Oh. Oh. Now, you know what that is? Got him a twist. Yeah. Oh. Needing that. You open this one up too. You know why she's going to need it, Gene? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell all? you why, because she's going to my farm to ride my prize Tennessee walking horse, John Henry. You know, he's a big, tall stepper <laughs> like I am, you know, but I'm sure she can handle him. <laughs> I know all Look about John Henry. I'll tell you what, you are going to be dressed. Uh, well, I thank you very much, the Colonel and Sister Sherry. Apparently not too concerned about what's Just going on. Speaking of that, Just let's get you up into the ring. We're going to the mall Look at your face, Parker has some large rap presence. Gene asks Parker about Harlem Heat's title defense, but Parker says Harlem Heat is on their own, and he's just here to woo Twinkle Eyes with his presence. (laughs) He he really likes that pet name, too, Twinkle Eyes. I also like the idea that these two came to Nitro from wherever, like, the last city was, Uh just to give each... Like, he's like, I'm not managing wrestlers. I'm just here to woo my girlfriend. (laughs) You guys could have done that from your house. Why did you come to Nitro tonight? (laughs) Also, like, past history suggests that Harlem Heat's going to be, like, at a clear advantage not having them around. (laughs) As Sherry opens the first one, Parker talks about taking her back to the farm, where they can sit on the porch swing and talk about nice times. (laughs) They're not going to have nice times. They're just going to sit on a swing and talk about nice times. (laughs) Sherry finally wins the battle against the wrapping paper that takes her kind of a long time. They didn't think to like TV wrap these where you wrap the box in such a way that you can just lift the lid off and it's wrapped separately. No, they like really wrap these and tied ribbons around it. Mm -hmm. I almost wonder if someone was pulling a rib on Sherry and making these like tough to open. Man, because she's like she's trying to unwrap them as fast as possible. Yeah, she knows she's on TV. She gets her job. It's just they made it hard on her. Yeah. And it's like, is this box like stapled together or something? Because she is just... (laughs) She ends up tearing it like in half practically in order to get this clothes out. Well, it is a fringed leather vest that Sherry is ecstatic over. She tears into the larger gift as Parker says that this is so she can come back to the farm and ride his big Tennessee walking horse, John Henry. (laughs) Wait, did he call it a walking horse? (laughs) He sure did. (laughs) 
The second gift is a pair of leather chaps, which cause Sherry to jump on Parker and wrap her legs and arms around him. She plants kisses all over him, and Jean ends this very, very strange segment. <laughs> I don't really know what this was in service to. Maybe there's a storyline that's coming to fruition here later on down the road, but I don't know what was going on here. Also, as a viewer, I I fully expected her to be upset with the presence. Yeah, no, because that's kind of like the that's like the comedic spirit of like this relationship. Yeah, that he would be like constantly fucking up like the gifts, but the fact that she loves him, like. Okay, so we're not really like how should I feel about this segment? I yeah. don't really know. Like, yeah, they're still happy with each other. We knew yeah. that for weeks <laughs> on end. Like we just saw a heel couple who were supposed to ostensibly not like mm-hmm. give each other nice presents. Well, one gave the other nice presents and then just fantasize about sitting on a porch with them talking about nice times. <laughs> right. Like good for I guess good for them. Yeah. Like I hope they go do that. <laughs> if they continue to be on this wrestling show, I'll be sad for them. <laughs> I also, I mean, We've seen these backstage segments a lot, a lot of times. Yeah. And I always like how they kind of like, they set up the props of uh, the locker room. So it looks like the least believable locker room possible. Yeah, there's the the WCW towel hanging in such a way that the logo is fully visible. Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. (laughs) We go back to the ring where Harlem Heat are indeed set to defend their WCW tag team title belts against the illustrious team of Greg the Hammer Valentine and Buddy Valentino. Um, excuse me? (laughs) Well, Greg must have felt all the stingy insults I levied at his appearance in his last match and wondered how he could avoid such comments this time. And apparently he's come to the conclusion that if he comes to the ring with an even harder to look at tag team partner, (laughs) maybe I'll let him off the hook. And boy, did he ever. (laughs) Yeah, he's wrong, though, because he still looks like a wet ham left in the sun for several weeks rolled in old dog hair. (laughs) Now, Buddy Valentino is a fat guy of average height wearing the full-legged singlet-style gear, all black with little white hearts. It's cut real low so he can see his prodigious gut and floppy tits. <laughs> he has bleach-blonde mullet and surprisingly average face. Uh, I was really hoping that he'd be as outright ugly as Valentine, uh, whose face, of course, looks like bread dough in a plastic bag with eyes drawn on it. <laughs> but Valentino is a small-time indie guy who WCW has used very sparingly as a jobber over the past year and a half. He's usually billed as Buddy Valentine, but is here going as Valentino, I guess, to make sure we don't get him confused or think these two are related or something. <laughs> I, I'm not really sure. but And I'm sure this will not be confusing whatsoever for the announcers. <laughs> he will never appear on our program again, so I'm not going to waste a lot of time trying to find out about his career. Mm-hmm. Also new to this program is referee Mark Curtis, a.k.a. Brian Hildebrand. He is a ref and manager going back to the mid-1980s. Uh, he's been an official in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, uh, Memphis and the USWA, as well as ECW, and he's here making his WCW debut. And he even gets mentioned by Tony Schiavone as well. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you know much about uh, Brian Hildebrand or Mark Curtis, whatever you want to call him. Um, he's sort of generally a really well-liked guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, like a year, year and a half after this, he will he ends up dying of, of bowel cancer. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll talk about it when we get there. Um, but I, I'm not going to play like cutesy with spoiler stuff when it comes to something so tragic as that. Um, but he was so well loved that they had this big memorial show for him, um, to, you know, to, I think raise money for his family. And it was a show where ECW, WCW and WWF, as well as a lot of the smaller indies all had guys that were on that show. One of the few times other than like the Pillman Memorial and and similar things where they've Mm -hmm. allowed stuff like that to happen. Yeah, that's. 
honestly, and not, I hope that doesn't sound very morbid, but like the memorial, that memorial show is how I remember him best is the fact that like all the promotions came together. And yeah. that's like, that just shows you how much this guy was beloved. But yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, to go back to just the, just before this match, I was really surprised that Tony Giovanni did like a, like he announced him yeah, yeah. As, as someone that's debuting. So it's like, yeah, okay. Putting a little bit of focus on the referee. I mean, I suppose at this time they're kind of have more focus on referees. Yeah, that's than usual, true. So yeah, because they do kind of tie. It's very loose. It's not like they go into detail, but they sort of say like, "Oh, I wonder if maybe because they're looking at Nick Patrick, if that's why we're kind of getting a new official in here." They don't say much about it, but they do kind of mm-hmm. tie it into the current referee controversy. Yeah. Greg Valentine and Booker T start off after Curtis shows us the belts. Before the action can begin, Ted DiBiase makes his way to ringside to a pretty huge reaction from the crowd. Hammer is in control early with an el- Hammer is in control early with an elbow and an early one count, followed by a chin lock. It's 30 seconds in, Greg mm-hmm. Valentine. Why not slap on a chin lock? <laughs> we miss some more action to see DiBiase take his seat between two kids, and then when we get back to the ring, Hammer is still in control. Booker misses a wheel kick and eats another few elbows. Greg Valentine gets a two count and then a side a side breaker, I called it. He had him up like he was going to hit like a fall away slam almost, but then just drop the guy on his knee. Is it ab breaker? I don't know really what to call that. Or just a backbreaker? It's a backbreaker, except for he wasn't it wasn't up to the guy's back. It was to his side. That's why I called it a side breaker. I oh, couldn't come up with something but just a shitty backbreaker. Yeah. Then. <laughs> he then takes in Valentino. Booker surprisingly gave Hammer a lot of offense, but he is not taking that shit from Valentino. <laughs> and he, and he shouldn't. He immediately comes at him with some strikes before tagging in Stevie Ray. Ray eats a drop kick, impressive from a big fatso like Buddy Valentino. <laughs> so uh, I can insult this guy all, all I want, but uh, that was impressive as hell that he got. He got up. It wasn't amazing, but it was a good, solid drop kick from yep. a big, unathletic looking guy. Yes. Stevie then whips him into the ropes, and Booker, from outside the ring, kicks him in the back of the head, after which Stevie hits an elbow. We get a clothesline from Stevie as Tony puts over the record first-day ticket sales for Halloween Havoc. Booker is tagged in and hits the Harlem sidekick for two. Back in comes Stevie as Tony announces what we've heard reported from Meltzer the past couple weeks. Mike Tenay is permanently joining the broadcast team starting tonight. Oh, but he didn't say that Meltzer reported that. No, no, no. Okay. We've... we've mentioned it on prior episodes they <laughs> Meltzer keeps saying it's going to happen next week it's going to happen next week and finally it actually has happened a scoop slam from Stevie is followed by a side slam <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving that in that way Booker is tagged in and gets the Harlem hangover uh, a, like a dangerous sloppy looking Harlem hangover but he mm. manages to hit it and as Stevie restrains Greg Valentine Booker pins Valentino for the one two three victory pretty much just a squash showcase match for the heat and as such it was fine nothing was outrageously bad it was a decent little showcase match for our champions yeah the I feel like the best way to describe that Harlem hangover was like he was going for it expecting to miss it for some reason yeah yeah. and and since it was like halfway through it's like oh no he's not gonna move then it, it does look like it wasn't intended to be a full on, but it reminds me of, of, of um, Billy Kidman shooting star press where it's impressive and he normally hits it. But the whole time you're like, Oh God, <laughs> like it's just, <laughs> there's something about the rotation that seems very reckless. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, especially given when he has the angle in which he misses it like all right, the time. Right, so. right. We go to Gina ringside with the Harlem Heat. Stevie Ray is sick and tired of the two fat suckas, the nasty boys, running their mouths, and Harlem Heat is going to end their careers. Booker also talks some trash, and both members of the Heat fail to notice the crowd start to react to something, which of course turns out to be the nasties who attack the heat from behind, shoving Stevie really hard into the ring. Yes. And it is not WWF where there is just a ring skirt and you can go straight under the ring. It's solid at this part. So Mm -hmm. they really could have injured him if he had gone headfirst into that. Yes. (laughs) Imagine that. The nasty boys are kind of sloppy. (laughs) Uh, Of course, their attack is some lame punch kick, shitty nasty boys brawling. Mm -hmm. Uh, They isolate Booker in the ring and hit a spike pile driver. I would not let the nasties pile drive me at all, let alone a spike pile driver. <laughs> right. Especially since Jerry Sags has him up for the pile driver. Yeah. And Knobs looks very like he has no confidence in this. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> scary. Luckily, everybody comes out okay. Yeah. Knobs lays in an elbow drop for good measure, and then they beat Stevie outside the ring as we go to commercial, despite Larry saying, like, now? <laughs> I mean, we are in the middle of a pretty vicious beatdown, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we just go to commercial, which is fine with me because it means less nasty boys. Right. Uh, during the commercial, our blood is going to run cold. Oh, so cold. And uh, <laughs> when we return, Dean Malenko's music is playing and out comes the Iceman. Also showing up is the aforementioned Iron Mike Tanay, who is welcomed to the booth by Tony Schiavone. Tony says that Jericho is going to be Malenko's opponent, so I'm fucking pumped. <laughs> Jericho is still a let's go baby face, you know, just like yeah. walking the rig, gland handing, just doing the generic yelling stuff. Mm-hmm. But he seems to get some reaction from the crowd, and Tanay works very hard to put him over. And here to call all the action is our own lion tamer, Dave Amantor. <laughs> okay. I wanted to note that uh, this is Chris Jericho's first WCW music. It's like this w- oh, kind yeah. of very generic, like like epic 80s hero sort of thing. I think I mentioned when we introduced him that he says that he heard this as like basketball highlights one time when he was oh, watching yeah. TNT. Yeah. It totally sounds like that. Yeah. Even if, even if this is not the original version, even if it's a WWE network dub, they picked a dub that sounds like it would be. No, I mean, I remember this. Oh, you remember? I okay. Remember. It's perfect. Def- this is right. definitely his song. Yeah. And I just wanted to, to note that I, I appreciate the fact that WWE left this in here. Yeah. Especially since they do dub over some of his later music. Right. So the fact that this original song is still in here is kind of a bonus. Yeah. Um, so we start off with a collar and elbow tie up into a waist lock by Malenko, but Jericho throws him to the mat. I wanted to note that Jericho, like you said before, is really, he's like really into hyping up the crowd tonight Yeah, and and the crowd's into it. So, I mean, I'm sure he's just like, yeah, just keep doing it because they're loving it. Right. Drop toe hole by Malenko, but an attempt at a headlock is reversed into a hammer lock by the Lionheart. Some back and forth as Mike Tanay discusses Jericho's background in lieu of a recent match Saturday night against Mr. JL. The two combatants go off the ropes, avoiding each other's offense until Jericho finally catches Malenko with a pair of spin kicks. A small ECW champ breaks out as Jericho continues his kicking assault on the man of a thousand holds. However, Malenko catches his leg and drops Chris with a belly-to-back suplex. While Tanay talks about uh, Chris Jericho's father, Ted Irvine, and his 10-year career in the NHL, Malenko nails him with a brain buster. The cover only gets a two-count, though. 
Um, as Malenko slaps on a headlock, we cut to Ted DiBiase leaving the ringside arena, in which I'm saying, hey, this match isn't that bad. <laughs> hey. As Dave- I, I, I don't remember where it was, but I, it was earlier than this in my notes, so I just want to call it out. Uh, there was an EC dub chant at one point. Yeah. Did you mention that? I, and did. I Sorry. <laughs> I did. Good. It's like, there was a, well, this will be edited out. Yeah. <laughs> As DiBiase heads up the stairs, we see Malenko has moved on to a head scissor. Oh, okay. As DiBiase heads up the stairs, we see that Malenko has converted his headlock into a head scissors. During the rest hold, Mike Tanay informs us that Chris Jericho will be facing the Canadian crippler Mr. Intensity Chris Benoit Fall Brawl, which should be a fun tie for all. Yeah, I think he also mentions during this match somewhere that uh, I think this might have been the first time they mentioned it, that uh, Ray is going to face Super Kolo at Halloween Havoc or at Fall Brawl, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, they had mentioned that Super Kolo was coming, but I don't think that that match had been mentioned specifically on Nitro. Yeah, I know at some point because we get a promo later for it. Yeah. But, and yes, I know, and I know the announcers mentioned it beforehand. So I think it's during this match sometime. I, I did not make a note of it, though. Malenko periodically grabs the ropes as he has Jericho in the head scissors, which Larry Zbysko calls both a figure four and a sleeper. (laughs) After a short eternity, Jericho gets to his feet with Malenko on his shoulders and drops back onto the mat to release the hold. Dean quickly regains the advantage with an eye poke and a double underhook suplex uh, gets him a two count. Undeterred by Jericho's resiliency, Malenko applies an abdominal stretch. Chris manages to escape the hold with a hip toss. The two cruiserweights exchange blows in the corner, but a whip across the ring by Jericho backfires as Malenko hits a nice springboard bulldog for a two count. It was, yeah, that looked really great, I thought. Yeah, especially since um, it's you would have to see it. It's kind of hard to pick to for me to describe it, but he had a very small window in which to execute that, and he does it very well. Yes. As a Malenko cross body block sends both men to the floor, which is not a DQ due to the malleable momentum clause in the WCW rulebook. They exchange blows again, this time with Jericho in the ring and Malenko on the apron. Chris gains the advantage and hits a baseball slide, dropping the Iceman back to the arena floor. Jericho follows up with a springboard plancha, or as Tony calls it, a tremendous maneuver. (laughs) As Jericho gets Malenko back in the ring, Shivani makes a great point of reference to his match last week against Alex Wright and how Chris is showing an increased intensity this week to make sure he gets a clear victory. Jericho then hits a missile drop kick for a long two count. Chris sets up Malenko for a tombstone pile driver, but Malenko reverses it for one of his own, which Tony Shivani refers to as a spike pile driver, just for the record. A lateral press gets a two count only. Frustrated, Malenko throws Jericho back to the mat three more times, but each time, the Lionheart kicks out before three. At this point, I'm very surprised Zabisco didn't bitch about Malenko not hooking the leg during that sequence. He's on pretty good behavior tonight. So far, so good. <laughs> and that was that was the exact moment that he should have been complaining about. Right. In fact, he didn't. I'm like, there's something a little bit off here. An Irish whip to the corner is countered by a German suplex from Jericho, but Malenko kicks out a two. The two men counter each other's roll-up attempts until Jericho catches Malenko with a forward roll for the surprise pinfall victory. Uh, Jericho also makes sure to get out of the ring right away because he knows Malenko's going to be pretty pissed off about this. (laughs) But I I thought this was a really good match. Um, I think it was a much better showcase for Jericho than last week. Agreed. Um, I did like the point that Tony made about 
uh, the fact that uh, Jericho did not get a clear victory last week. Yeah. And that he's trying a lot harder to make sure he gets like a clear pinfall or submission victory. Yeah. And and I like it that it's like a shock victory, especially since it could kind of uh, maybe lead us towards like a rematch between these two. Yes. Because I would enjoy another match between these two guys. Absolutely. I think this was a strong showing. Uh, we know from reading his book a little bit on here that Jericho knew that he kind of was in the hole after that original angle and mm-hmm. kind of lame promo. So this was a good showing, and I, I really liked this match. A uh, good part of the show. After the match, Jericho celebrates with some dudes in the front row. Tony hypes the division, and we go to a video package to hype Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Super Kolo. Uh For Kolo, they use just some footage from the syndicated shows as he had been on the most recent set of tapings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see him against Billy Kidman, Chavo, and I'm almost sure it's brad armstrong is the other one okay um but there's like not really that many highlights and so they use the same shot of him walking down the aisle twice yes <laughs> and, and i'm pretty sure it's from like main event or something yeah like that. it's not even saturday night it's like a lower rung show guys couldn't you just pay triple a like for a little bit of footage of him <laughs> just something to use right. it's not really getting me hype for that match very much uh we go to commercial and when we come back we find out that on Saturday night this week, we're going to see Mongo versus John Tenta, David Taylor versus Robert Eaton as the Blue Bloods continue to explode. Yikes. And much, much more. Hey, speaking of Brad Armstrong, here he comes with his stupid American flag jacket and dumb mullet. <laughs> his opponent is the former WCW heavyweight champion of the world, the Giant, who is accompanied by his manager, Jimmy Hart. He gets some pyro, uh, which I think is new. It, there's a lot of pyro kind of from here on out through the end of the show. And if yeah. it's not, I mean, there are guys that have gotten pyro before, but like it's mm-hmm. more impressive pyro, I think is kind of the deal. Tony puts over how the giant is a diehard for team WCW. I also wanted to make a note because I think we mentioned in the past, especially when giant was WCW champion. Yeah. That um, it, he might've been, um, What's the phrase? Was like burning the candle from both ends. Oh, he looked like he was partying. Yeah. After most shows. Yeah. yeah. And tonight was kind of I. It just seemed like that he looked like a little worse for wear. I kind of wonder, and I'm not trying to make a joke, but I kind of wonder if Nash and Hall showing up has not been great for his health. <laughs> True. <laughs> Larry says the most important thing for WCW is to get the belt back from Hogan after the Giant dropped the ball at Hog Wild. And their next opportunity will be when Randy Savage faces Hogan at Halloween Havoc. I, they, so this is like a continuing theme that they always have for the Giant, this whole dropping the ball. Right. For the record, the entire NWO interfered during that Hogwild match. Yeah. And how many people from WCW assisted him with that? Big fat goose egg. Yeah, exactly. Yep. If anyone dropped the ball, it was literally everyone else <laughs> in WCW. So I feel like they're, they're yeah. really, I mean... They're putting a lot more on the Giant than really they should be. I agree. Armstrong starts the match by crawling through the Giant's legs and then hitting a dropkick. He follows up with another and then some strikes, but Giant throws him to the ground and bellows to a big pop from the crowd. They don't care about the bland babyface Armstrong. They want to see this big Giant fuck up a dude. (laughs) Armstrong goes for a waist lock, which is an insane plan against the Giant, but the Giant easily works his way out. They lock up, and the Giant throws Armstrong to a corner and then hits some strikes. Giant bashes Armstrong's face into the turnbuckle. Tony gets word that a limo has arrived at the arena, which must mean the NWO. Giant tosses Armstrong across the ring and stalks him slowly. 
He tries for a slam, but Armstrong valiantly flips over him and kind of shimmies down for a sunset flip attempt. But the giant just picks him up by the throat and the crowd goes nuts for the choke slam. But giant instead just tosses Brad to the mat. Tony says that the giant seems preoccupied with something as normally he'd have finished it right there. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> giant tosses Armstrong to the outside. No DQ. Yeah, I think it's between the ropes, actually. As Larry calls Jimmy Hart a mental genius of wrestling. <laughs> That's the best kind of genius. <laughs> Armstrong tries to come in, but the giant grabs him, so Armstrong stun guns him. Armstrong hits a drop kick from the top rope, but the giant is relatively unfazed and just hits the choke slam out of nowhere for the 1 2 3 victory. Giant tells the camera that nobody gets up from the choke slam, and we see some replays. We then go to the limo, but nothing is happening there, so instead, we go to commercial. I just, I don't know why, but like every week, I just want to emphasize how awesome the Giant's choke slam is. I agree, uh, and the Giant in general is awesome. Mm-hmm. He gave Brad Armstrong way too much offense in this match. I, <laughs> yeah. Was this, shocked. This, I, I think this is about the worst that he's looked on Nitro so far. Sure. Because it took way too long. There's also... I feel like Brad Armstrong gets a lot of like leeway yeah. in his matches. Like he he lasts way too long against guys that are way better than him. Yeah. And by way better, I mean like literally everyone on the <laughs> roster. <laughs> I don't think he's a bad worker. I just think he's so uninteresting. Um and I just maybe he's just a lovable guy. Maybe everyone just likes working with him or something cuz I just could not think he doesn't he never wins. Uh, I think he might have one victory on nitro i feel like maybe he beat hard work bobby walker i might be i'm not sure and i'm not gonna look it up <laughs> but i don't remember and i the other thing i could remember was the fact that it seemed like or at least it indicated he was doing really well in right. the uh in the cruiserweight title tournament Ye- oh sure yeah yeah but um but i mean he never wins so mm-hmm. I, I don't know why they like let him do so much especially against the giant Right. Just a really strange decision, especially kind of given where the evening heads later. I would think that you'd want the giant looking as scary and as dominant as possible. Right. And that was, he looked the opposite of that tonight. The NWO have a paid advertisement included in the ads. Uh, This one is a solo Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Uh, No Nash or Hall in this particular one. The following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. The whole world is a stage now. Man, we look good up there. We're styling, man. We don't have to sneak around anymore. We don't have to hide in the shadows. The NWO, way to go, guys. We are the champions of the world. We've got the NWO belt. (laughs) We left the giant land, and now the whole WCW is going to fall at our feet. We hit a home run after I beat that big nasty giant to the WCW belt and turned it into our belt, you know, the NWO belt. He was crying. And then a couple days later, I beat the so-called dirtiest player in the game. (laughs) He was crying too. The WCW, the world crybaby wrestlers, doesn't work anymore in war games with the WCW's finest, the so-called establishment of the WCW. In the cage with us, brother, Sting will be stung. 
Woo! All my little stingers. Just doesn't work anymore. Luger will be hung. Flair won't even be there. Woo! In styling and profiling, you shouldn't brag about that. And Arn won't be Arn anymore, brother. Because the NWO will take care of all the NWO business on that day. It's just gonna change with the times, man. But when we get you in the cage, brothers, we're gonna bring you up to speed, just like my two friends brought me up to speed. I know what works now. You gotta take what you want. You gotta bond together for business reasons only. <laughs> Sting, Luger, Arn, and Flair. The way you guys bonded, the way you guys made a deal, it was touching. <laughs> it made me cry a little bit. But it was real. Real weak. I mean, to see you guys out there appeasing each other, talking about what you'd been through together, about the old days in the WCW. We well, you know what? Times have changed. What you gonna do in war games when the NWO destroys you? Anything less would be civilized. <laughs> the preceding announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. A solo Hulkster talks about how great the NWO is in front of, like, giant projected images of the three members. He kicks a beach ball globe into the camera. He hits the ground with a baseball bat and says that they hit a home run. He talks about how he beat the big, nasty giant and then flare a few days later. He spray paints an old babyface Hogan WCW t-shirt and says that WCW stands for the world crybaby wrestlers. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> he promises in war games that Sting will be stung, Luger will be hung, Flair won't even be there, and Arn won't be Arn anymore. <laughs> he really ran out of steam. Yes. For one thing, Luger is going to be hung. Okay, I like that only makes sense because you're still using the like the rhyme from stung mm -hmm. and flair won't be there so F sting gets his own like play on words flair gets his own play on words luger gets a play of words that's still just based on stings mm -hmm. and then arn won't be arn anymore right <laughs> that's that is all over the map he asks what everyone's going to do when the NWO destroys them and then makes uh, another reference. He's all over making the anything less would be uncivilized. We talked about that before his yes. right guard. He is he does that like three more times throughout tonight's show. He's thinks it's so funny mm -hmm. to make callbacks to that ad for some reason. After that, Eric Bischoff welcomes us to hour two as Pyro explodes. He's taking over along with Bobby Heenan, and Mike Tanay is apparently going to bridge the gap as he still remains throughout the rest of the hour. They show us some replays of the NWO spray painting the truck from last week, which we already saw at the beginning of the show. Uh, we then see the full replay of DiBiase showing up in his ominous one, two, three, four, five next week, a uh, little countdown. Mm -hmm. We then see the attack on the Horseman, Sting, and Luger from the end of last week. And as far as Bobby is concerned, the NWO stands for the 
no wrestling association <laughs> since these guys use blats and spray paint instead of having a fair fight. Now, I don't know why O stands for association. <laughs> there is an O in there. But <laughs> O-sociation. <laughs> I wonder. Now I want to go back and see if he says O-sociation. <laughs> I didn't really hear it that way, but it'd be kind of funny if he did. The announcers are still confused. The announcers are, for some reason, still confused about the meaning of Ted DiBiase's fifth finger. Uh, you remember they had that bullshit where they seemed to kind of think it might have something to do with the horseman? Right. Uh, so they're still a little unsure for some reason. And we go to the ring for our next match. It's the former Yeti, Big Ron Stud, who's going to be facing Randy Macho Man Savage. So we go to our own Yeti, Dave Amantorp. Well, we have breaking news as uh, Ron Studd comes out, and he no longer has the description of Big before his name. Mike Tanay, however, refers to him as the huge Ron Studd. (laughs) So maybe he's gotten an upgrade. Macho Man Randy Savage, like you mentioned before, gets a lot of fireworks. Um, So good for for him. (laughs) I kind of think this is funny because clearly the thing now is if you're going to face the giant in a big upcoming match, you have to face Ron Studd first. Right. Um, but that started with Benoit, who beat Ron Studd easily and then got his ass kicked by the giant in like six seconds. <laughs> so it clearly didn't work for him. I think if, if I were Savage, I'd say like, no, that guy's clearly not a good tune-up. Like, right. I need something else. There's an incredible disparity between uh, Ron Studd and the giant. I mean, I love the super giant ninja as much as the next guy. But... <laughs> right. I mean, doesn't everyone? <laughs> So the match begins with a collar and elbow tie-up, which seems like a very poor decision on behalf of the Macho Man. Yeah. <laughs> and indeed it is, as Stud fl- sends Savage flying. Stud clobbers Macho Man with forearms to the back as Eric Bischoff talks about the defacing of the WCW World Heavyweight title, which he's just not getting over. Huge Ron Stud lifts Savage up by the throat and drops him to the mat, as in he just releases him. At this point, I'm not overly impressed with what Ron Studd's offensive repertoire is so far. Thankfully, we cut to the New World Order getting out of apparently the world's smallest limousine. <laughs> when we get back to the ring, huge Ron Studd whips Savage hard into the corner and picks him up for a body slam, indicating that he's going to throw Macho Man over the top rope and to the arena floor. However, Randy, referee Randy Anderson will have none of it, climbing the ropes to stop him. Yeah, we haven't talked about the. Maybe it's the one year anniversary. You just reminded me of this. We used to talk about Randy Anderson getting on the ropes all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he does it less or if I just got used to it. But here he is. <laughs> he's back on the ropes. I just. My next note is to paraphrase Mallrats. That referee <laughs> is back on the ropes again. <laughs> However, Stud does take the hint and slams Savage to the mat for a two count. At this point, we learned that Big Ron Stud or Huge Ron Stud actually trained at the New Japan, New Japan Dojo, in which I wonder, what reality do we live in that Ron Studd graduated from the New Japan Jojo, and this is how good he is? <laughs> I Well, I don't know what graduated. I don't know if there is, like, a graduation. I mean, he may have done some training there, but, like, I don't know if, like, they would say, like, he's a product of our training, <laughs> or if he just, like, you know, was there for a while. I mean, they definitely credit him of being in the Dojo, so I don't... I don't know if I, I really don't know what qualifies as being maybe maybe if you're just like overseas and wrestling for New Japan. Right. Maybe that's enough for them to be like, oh yeah, he definitely trained there. Right. 
Anyway, while Ronnie lets himself get be distracted by the referee, Savage tosses him to the outside before hitting a double axe handle smash from the top turnbuckle to the guardrail. Back in the ring, Macho Man body slams huge Ron Stud and hits a flying elbow for the three count. So this was a pretty terrible match, pretty pointless match, and also the fact that the Macho Man's going to be facing the Giant. Like we talked about before, this whole idea that you know he's facing another big guy. No one cares that he body slams Ron Studd. Right. They do not hype it up whatsoever. I think the announcers, just like us, were waiting for this match to be over, too. Agreed. Agreed. Gene is in the ring with Randy. All right, Eric, I thank you very much. Congratulations, Mike. Today, now part of the broadcast team here on Nitro, along with Bobby the Brain Heenan. Let me set up, if I may, what's coming up in this man's life in the next month and a half. I just happened to be out at the MGM Grand this past week with the Macho Man, Randy Savage. You seem very focused. Halloween Havoc is gonna happen out there on the 27th of October. However, you're gonna be facing Hulk Hogan at that event, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, a man we know about the, the past between you and him. But Randy Savage, before that, you've got a gigantic task coming up on the 15th of this month against the seven foot four giant, a man that well, you think did not carry his load because he's the man that lost the title to Hollywood Hogan, the WCW heavyweight title. First of all, I wish Halloween Havoc was tonight. I think these people would concur with that line of thinking. Because I guarantee to you and to all the zillions of people around the world and the universe that I am going to beat up Hollywood Hulk Hogan and take away everything that he wants because that makes me happy. Randy Savage, you know there are those that are talking right now behind closed doors about your mental state. Some people are saying that you are living on the edge right now, that you're not too mentally stable. I'm living on the edge. And if anybody out here is not living on the edge, you're taking up too much room. <laughs> Giant! I made a deal with you. You made a deal with me. You broke your promise. You couldn't handle the pressure. Bottom line, I take over starting now. You are meat. And I'm guaranteeing victory against the Giant and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. I like the pressure on me. I operate better that way. Should I be calling Las Vegas? Should I be calling one of the sports books out there? Can I put money down? You guarantee victory? Las Vegas is my new home. Both men? Both men will melt when the heat of the Macho Man brings them all the way down. Oh, yeah! Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. He's predicting victory, not only against Hollywood Hogan at Halloween Havoc, but also the Giant at Fall Brawl. Gentlemen, let's go back to you. Gene first offers his congratulations to Mike Tenay, very classy of him, and then asks Savage about his focus on Halloween Havoc and how it may get in the way of his concentration for his match at Fall Brawl against the Giant. Savage wishes Hall... Savage wishes Halloween Havoc was tonight, and he promises to beat up Hogan and take away his title. 
Gene asks about Macho's mental state, and Macho confirms he's living on the edge and says that if anyone around here is not, they're taking up too much room. I wrote that down because I really liked that line. Yeah, I actually thought that was pretty sweet. Yeah. It's, yeah, he says, I'm living on the edge, and if anybody out here is not living on the edge, you're taking up too much room. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. Macho guarantees victory against both the Giant and Hollywood Hogan. We then go to a commercial, and when we come back, a man called Sting plays, and out comes the Stinger along with Lex Luger. Eric says that a year ago, all of the so-called critics predicted Nitro would never be successful, but a year in, and they are the most watched wrestling show each and every week. He thanks the fans for their success. <laughs> That's nice. The Steiner brothers come out to what I thought at first were booze, but I realized were actually barks. And I think that fools me every week. I feel like that's not the first time I've said that. <laughs> Before this one starts, we cut to the four horsemen outside the arena. They run to the parked NWO limo and open the doors, but the limo is empty. The fifth man is inside the building. Oh, my God. Also, I would like to point out, especially since this happened in a previous match on Nitro. Yeah. Scott Steiner does not have his wrestling knee pads on. Oh, yeah. You know what? Uh, last time I noticed how bad he was moving. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll get to tonight's match. Right. Yeah. I was trying to think. I was like, what did he do in tonight's match? We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, these guys made their full entrances. Then we cut to the four horsemen going to the limo. Mm -hmm. Then we cut to a commercial. So then we come back and it's finally time for this match. Sting and Lex, a fun tag team that i really enjoy watching yep. against the steiner brothers who love to throw dudes around mm -hmm. i am pumped for this one dave yes the bell rings and lex and rick stop the bell rings and lex and rick steiner lock up luger shoves rick back and flexes they lock up again and this time rick overpowers lex shoving him backwards nick patrick is standing there and he's lightly bumped by lex and immediately calls for the bell immediately calls for the bell wait what the crowd and all four men are furious as the bell rings, and this is ruled a disqualification due to the contact with a referee. The Steiners are the winners, but they are not happy about it. No one's happy about it. Patrick gets the fuck out of Dodge, jumping out of the ring instantly and backing up the aisle as Sting and Luger follow. He finally breaks out in a run, and I guess Sting and Luger are like uh, Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees because they just walk after him. They'll, they'll, they'll get to him. <laughs> Um, I also noticed that um, like the fans are so upset that they actually start chanting "Ref, you suck." Is that I knew there was a chance I could not understand what yeah, it, was. it was. Okay, it was "Ref, you suck," and I'm like, at this time you don't really hear a lot of like you know chants together. That's like true. That. They're, yeah, they're not just like ECW or something really right. basic. So to me, that was an indication that the fans were really pissed off. We go to a commercial. <laughs> so that was it. After all that hype for like a match I legitimately wanted, mm -hmm. it's a one minute angle and then another commercial break. Yeah. And not only that, but it's an, an angle in which like Nick Patrick already kind of got his like segment earlier. Right. We, we firmly established already that he was like a shitty referee. So the announcers in their like complaint about the disqualification were yeah. like, well, technically it was correct. Like touching the referee is a disqualification. Yeah. Their argument is that, well, he barely brushed up against him. Yeah. Which I was like, there, which I, to me was like, well, no, that's not a great argument because he does like full on run into him. Yeah. There, there's noticeable contact. Right. But it would have been easy for them to say like, it was not intentional on his behalf because he was being pushed by Rick Steiner. Right. 
So he was not the one ma- initiating the contact is because he's being pushed back. And I was like, if they just would have like, if they would have come up with that instead of like, because I always find that when they're trying to complain about something Nick Patrick does, uh-huh. they always are pointing to the wrong thing. Oh, sure. You know, like they point at the fast count instead of uh, him like hitting the knee of Lex Luger from Hog Wild. Yes. They, they're always like, they're just, they're, always focus on the wrong thing in which it's like, no, there's an obvious thing that you, you obvious point you can make. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, it just is like really frustrating for the fact that they, they put so much time, like an absurd amount of time into this like crooked referee yeah. angle. Yeah, yeah. But they just, the announcers do not have the right focus. We go to a commercial and when we come back, the dungeon of doom music is playing and out comes Kevin Sullivan, Bubba, Meng and the Barbarian, along with Jimmy Hart. Sullivan is wearing trunks, uh, but he does have that cheesy black and white t-shirt on. He does not wrestle in it. I just mm-hmm. noticed that he's still, he's like kind of between looks right now. Yeah. And is my and my favorite thing to do is to uh, point out once again that Big Bubba's, uh, his, his pants are tucked in yes. to suggest it's still the same pants that were torn about two months ago. <laughs> he's also, speaking of two months ago, he's wearing a Sturgis shirt. <laughs> I mean that wasn't two months ago. It was only I guess a month now. But he's I like that he's wearing it. <laughs> he d- he just had a good time. <laughs> the four horsemen theme plays, and out they come along with all three of their women. Eric gets word through his headset of some kind of disturbance in the back involving Sting and Luger, but he has no details. I I would always love to hear like, okay, what is the person telling you, Eric? They're just <laughs> like, there's a situation, Sting Luger. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> It's Morse code. Kevin Sullivan starts off the match along with Steve Mongo McMichael. Mongo looks greener than ever somehow, falling over when Sullivan tries to whip him into the ropes and having just noticeably no idea how to move his feet. Like he just doesn't know how to run if somebody's whipping him. (laughs) Just at any time he's kind of stutter stepping. He has no confidence in what his feet are supposed to be doing. Either that or he maybe he has too much confidence. He's like, oh, I know how to do this already, so I don't have to like put a lot of practice into it. <laughs> he levels Mongo levels Sullivan with a big shoulder tackle, almost kills himself trying to climb to the second rope. <laughs> it's nearly a complete disaster. <laughs> and then nearly blows out both of his knees with a big flying nothing that he just <laughs> does not land properly for. Sullivan tags in Bubba and Mongo for some reason stays in the match. Bubba takes over with some strikes and that thing where the guy ends up draped over the second rope in like a 619 position, Mm -hmm. which Bubba always takes the opportunity to come off the ropes and then like jump on their back and push their throat down into the rope. Yeah. He then does a baseball slide to the outside to go for a punch, but Mongo punches him instead. Mongo comes out of the ring and lays in with some strikes and an atomic drop. Back in the ring, he gets a back body drop and works a wrist lock before stomping on Bubba's hand. Bischoff congratulates Kevin Green and the Carolina Panthers of a big win yesterday against Atlanta. He gives a few of Green's stats and then claims that Lawrence Taylor better watch out. And while LT should watch out for maybe the police or the NFL's drug testers, I don't think he has to worry about Kevin Green. (laughs) Although for Kevin Green, he actually makes the all-pro list this season sure but I, like career wise yeah lt is an all-time great kevin green was like a very good football player you know what i mean but he's in the hall of fame 
I, maybe maybe I'm just underestimating Kevin Green. That's true. Maybe LT is just more well, famous for being LT the whole time. You know, I mean, LT is like one of the greatest linebackers in yeah. NFL history. So hey, one of them was in Samuel Jackson's Shaft movie, and it wasn't Kevin Green. Okay, oh, it was, I, I was like, I could have guessed. LT was in that. I think playing himself, if I remember right. It's been a while. Yeah. Bubba is trapped in the horseman corner, and Mongo finally tags out, and in comes Chris Benoit. Instant upgrade. Yes. <laughs> That's about as big as a horseman upgrade in ring terms as possible. Yeah. I mean, Flair and Art are great, but at, in 1996, mm-hmm. uh, Benoit is definitely your workhorse. You know, I just want to point this out, and it's just for myself Yeah, because it's just a minor thing. Um, Arn Anderson... I really like the look of the black trunks with the red knee pads. Sure. Yeah. It's just the, the combination just looks really cool. So I just wanted to point that out before it was too late. Bubba muscles Benoit over to the Dungeon of Doom corner and tags in the Barbarian. Barbarian and Benoit exchange chops until Barbarian misses a corner charge and Benoit hits a German suplex. Also, at this point, I didn't realize I've always wanted a Barbarian versus Chris Benoit match. Yes. Because that would be, or get, or Benoit Ming, for that matter. But I find Ming a little boring, but I think ben, uh, Barbarian is very underrated. Yeah. You should have more single stuff going on at this time. Right. And like that would be the kind of match where you just know those two would be like, let's just chop the shit yeah. out of each other. <laughs> Benoit goes to the top rope and Sullivan crotches him as Randy Anderson is distracted. Barbarian comes over to attack Benoit, who is seated on the top rope, but the crippler headbutts him down to the map and then hits his top rope flying headbutt. Bischoff says they're going to try to get cameras on whatever's happening in the back, the details of which he says are sketchy at best. (laughs) Like, why is it so hard to get facts from backstage? It's amazing to me. Someone just tell this man what's happening. Right, so someone, like... Uh, I don't listen to or yeah. like talked in his little earpiece and said like there's an incident backstage. Yeah. This was minutes ago, yeah. <laughs> and they they either they've given no details yeah. or they've just been so ambiguous when they talked to him. It's like yeah, there's still a thing. It's like it's Sting and I think Luger or maybe it's not Luger. I don't know. Yeah, if the only way it would make sense is if you went to the back and found out that it was an explosion and there's like several dead bodies. And, like, a reason for mass confusion and hysteria. Because <laughs> when we finally go back there, like, spoiler alert, I'm going a few minutes ahead. It's just Sting and Luger are still chasing McPatrick. Right. Like, that could not have been hard to describe. <laughs> They're still walking after that guy. That's it. That's the whole thing. Right. It's, <laughs> it's very clear who's involved in the situation. <laughs> Benoit gets a two-count broken up by Meng. He tags in Flair, who gets a huge pop, so he struts and woos and generally just enjoys being Ric Flair. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, bruh. <laughs> right. And then that's when I realize, oh, yeah, it's in Tennessee. Right. <laughs> Rather than show the most over guy in the company wrestle at all, we instead go backstage, where Luger and Sting continue to stalk a backpedaling Nick Patrick. Flair impersonation. They are arguing right now with Nick Patrick. They're going after Nick Patrick. And evidently, the argument has gone from the locker room area all the way outside. And look at Nick Patrick go. And he's headed to the limo. No. No, he didn't. He took a right. No. And Ted DiBiase has gotten into the limo. Ted DiBiase. Oh, what is this now? Oh, look at that. Sting just threw a brick through the windshield. Oh, things are getting out of hand now. Sting just threw a cement lock through the windshield. And they're stealing a cop car. Right, God. Oh, out loud. Sting and Luger have lost it. 
They just stole a police car. And they're chasing the limousine on the highway with a busted window. And who knows how many men are in that limousine. They wind up outside the arena, and Patrick suddenly sprints off towards the limo, but he doesn't get in, turning at the last minute, keeping some semblance of question mark over whether he's actively working with the NWO. Mm-hmm. I, so kind of a, a funny story is that I got really confused at this point okay. whether or not Nick Patrick got into the limousine. Ah, because someone does, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, okay, we'll wait then. Oh, okay. Uh, or not wait okay i'll just say it anyway yeah um so then i went back to watch it and then i just thought it was just like amusing that was like i was like re-watching and watching closely like it was the subruder film (laughs) yeah and i thought that was funny because the um um the limo driver for some reason has an umbrella and it just reminded me of the umbrella man from the subruder film (laughs) that's true (laughs) which by the way like the the limo driver like gets in the car in a hurry he drops the umbrella where it is and they speed off like like they're not chasing you they're not mad at you (laughs) well what happens is patrick suddenly turns the right he runs off we see uh someone you can't really tell who it is get in the limo we're told it's ted dibiase Mm. with certainty not like oh i think that's ted eric's like I think he realizes it was hard to see. So he's like, DiBiase got in limo. Yeah. The driver starts getting in the front. Sting grabs a huge rock, or Bischoff calls it a brick. I think it was just a rock, but it's, I, you can't it's, really tell. It's a, it's a misshapen object. It's not a cinder block, like they say. He throws it through the window of the limo, presumably murdering Ted DiBiase. Right. As far as we, the viewing audience, knows... Ted DiBiase is lying in the back of that limo in a pool of his own blood. Right. Because the limo speeds off. We never get a chance to, like, see what kind of damage was done. Uh, (laughs) Sting and Luger, not satisfied. I don't know if they think that it was Patrick that got in there or if they just want to make sure that they did, in fact, murder Ted DiBiase. Or maybe they just want to get out of town. I'm not sure. Uh, But nearby the limo is a police escort. And you can see the cop kind of standing there idly while the car is, is sitting so Sting and Luger walk towards him. Uh, one of them, I think Sting, shoves the cop. It was Sting, yeah. And then they get in the cop car and drive off. Mm-hmm. They steal a police vehicle, adding at least two more felonies to the attempted murder charge that they are surely facing. So right after he after the limousine goes off and I see the police officer just standing there, like yeah. he didn't really care that <laughs> he threw a very bo- calm. And I thought that was going to be the weirdest part of the situation. <laughs> Not even remotely close. Yeah. I don't. It's it's hilarious. Like we I think that it becomes a trope later in wrestling that like these guys are fighting with cops. Austin's fighting cops all the time. And yeah. like no one kind of ever gets in trouble unless maybe for a storyline for like one night they get arrested and then somehow McMahon can like just tell the cops like no it's fine let him go and the cops are like well Vince McMahon's the boss for some reason right uh but this is like the earliest example I could I remember of seeing cops treated so ridiculously uh, I guess we'll hang on to see if there's consequences next week but I don't think there's I mean I know there's no like the trial of sting storyline right <laughs> so I think if anything they're gonna be fine and it, and it it's also like for me, it never ceases to be like funny or amusing seeing a, a guy in wrestling gear driving a car. Yes, that's it always just, good. It just looks so goofy. <laughs> and I'm sure, like to me, if I was a police officer, I'd be like, "What? What just happened?" Yeah. 
<laughs> Did I have a car here? What happened? Anywho, back in the ring, Mang and Ric Flair are up to their old tricks. <laughs> those, those two. <laughs> the two men chopped the crap out of each other for a while and then set up a test of strength where, of course, Mang immediately overpowers Ric Flair. <laughs> so the nature boy low blows him. An angry Sullivan then tries to come in, so Flair low blows him too. Mm. Then the Barbarian advances, and Flair does the, like, mule kick low blow, oh, okay. which is my favorite low blow. Yeah. Flair struts. He's so happy and proud of himself <laughs> that he just hit these three guys in the balls. And Bubba refuses to, like, advance. Bubba doesn't want to get hit the dick, so he's like... He knows what's going to happen. <laughs> he just maintains distance, which is maybe the funniest part of the whole thing. That that whole sequence is by far the best part of this match. <laughs> we then see the cop backstage calling for, like, backup or just, like, an APB on his cop car or whatever. Which, by the way, he is not alarmed whatsoever. No, he's he, very calm. He looks almost bored. He's like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you could find out what happened, that'd be cool, but whatever. When we cut back to the match, Arn Anderson and Meng are in the ring now. Arn hits a DDT, but it's near the Dungeon of Doom corner, so they break up the following pin. Barbarian comes in and gets a scoop slam and an elbow drop. He hangs Arn in the Tree of Woe and tags in Sullivan, who gets his big hip charge in the corner. Bubba tags in and drops knees and a big punch for a two count. More punches get another two count. Arn Anderson comes back with punches and kicks of his own, and Bubba tags in Meng. There's, just in case it's not clear, there's going to be a ton of tags for the remainder of this match. Yep. It's constant. Meng stays in control with strikes. He tries a pile driver, but Arn reverses it to a back body drop. The Dungeon of Doom regained control as we go to a commercial, and our blood is running cold again. When we come back to the match, Arn Anderson manages to tag in Chris Benoit. Sullivan gets the tag from the Dungeon of Doom, and they start to work over Benoit, with Anderson unable to contain them. Meng comes in the room and hits an atomic drop and a big kick to the midsection. Barbarian tags in and hits a powerbomb. Arn breaks up the ensuing pin. Bubba tags in and gets a spinebuster. Flair runs in for some punches, and Randy Anderson literally jumps on his back to try to restrain him out of the ring. <laughs> it's like he not he knew that we hadn't noticed him for a few weeks, <laughs> and it's making up for lost time. Sullivan tags back in and tosses Benoit to the outside. Barbarian throws him into the rail, and Nate grabs a chair, but Randy Anderson backs him off so that Barbarian can keep up with the chicanery before rolling Benoit back into the ring so that Sullivan can work over him some more. The announcers are talking all about some Muhammad Ali documentary that's going to air on TNT tomorrow, with today giving a boring history lesson on Ali's interactions with Gorgeous George many, many years ago. And uh, Bischoff also talks about meeting Muhammad Ali on his trip to North Korea, which he talks about at, at length in his book as well. It, mm -hmm. It's kind of a, I mean, meeting Muhammad Ali would be a huge moment for anybody. So, of course, he's going to talk about it. Right. Bubba is now the legal man for the Dungeon of Doom, and he tries to come off the top rope, but Crippler gets a boot up into Bubba's face. Benoit can't capitalize, though, and Bubba tags in Sullivan. Sullivan and Benoit chop the shit out of each other until Sullivan gets a shoulder tackle. Barbarian comes in and hits more strikes for a two count. Meng tags in, and he and Benoit come off the ropes with huge crossbody collision, and Benoit lands on top, which gets a two count. Bubba tags in and drops an elbow. He chokes Benoit, so Arn comes in and attacks him with the worst spinebuster that Arn Anderson has ever hit. There's got to be one somewhere. <laughs> there it is. Meanwhile, Barbarian sneaks in and keeps choking Benoit the entire time. Randy Anderson finally restores order, and Barbarian tags in and hits a scoop slam. Then comes in Meng, and the faces of fear go for a double flying headbutt, but Benoit moves and they both eat Matt. 
Finally, Benoit gets out of the match, tagging in Flair, who runs wild on the Dungeon of Doom. A full-on eight-man Donnybrook erupts, and Bischoff says something about local police being backstage now. Benoit nails Jimmy Hart and then goes and yells at woman. She then helps Ric Flair with a figure four that he had on Kevin Sullivan, of course, her real-life husband, Mm -hmm. uh, which which helps keep Sullivan's shoulders down for the one, two, three. It's like a very kind of blink-and-you'll-miss-it moment, but I guess the idea is that woman would be helping Ric Flair. She normally does when he's got that hold on by kind of holding his arms to give that extra leverage, Mm -hmm. but she wasn't doing it because Sullivan was the one on the receiving end, so Benoit had to yell at her to get her to do it. It's... Very Sullivan booking where it's like a very subtle thing, but it's like so subtle given all the other shit that's going on right now that it's like, dude, that's too subtle because with what's about to happen with the next like 10 minutes of the show, right? that moment is going to be completely forgotten about. No one is going to care about that at all. Yeah. When I watched it, the way I interpreted it, it was that Benoit was yelling at woman for some reason. Yeah. Woman's like, hold on a minute. I'm going to help your, your guys win the match. By the way, that's what you should be doing. <laughs> right. I I did not catch whatsoever this idea that like she didn't immediately help Ric Flair with the ropes because it was Kevin Sullivan. Sure. That's that. I mean, that's asking a lot from a viewer to I catch agree. that, especially because most viewers don't know that Kevin Sullivan is her husband. Right, and especially <laughs> since we're, we're talking about like trying to remember these subtle details about like two wrestlers yeah. in an eight man tag. Right. That has just gone like haywire. Well, before we go to the post-match angle, uh, I thought the match was chaotic, um, but a lot of big personalities. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was fine. It it wasn't anything special. It went on too long, but I think there's a reason for that because we need all eight of these guys to be considered softened up and weakened for kind of what's to come. So it was serving Mm -hmm. a purpose, uh, but it just went on too long and too long of a heat spot with Benoit in there and Arn before him just getting beat up with like constant tags by the dungeon of doom. So this was like a two star match. you know, this was not great in my book. Right. And I mean, it's really just setting up for like the show finale. So this is the match itself is forgettable. It's just, to me, it's just a way to make sure all these guys are present. So let's go to that big angle as suddenly the NWO hit the ring and attack everybody. Where's the rest of them? There's Hogan. Hogan is here. He is in the building. Hey, I'm getting out of here, Bischoff. Dash is in the center of the ring. Where are you going, Heenan? I'm going for higher ground. This isn't worth it to me. I'm not going to risk my life here. I'll see you later. Today, if you're smart, you'll come with me. Hogan, Hall, and Nash. They are going after the Dungeon of Doom. They're going after the Horsemen. Mike, today, they're going after everybody. They weren't in the limo. They obviously weren't, and now we see the new world order taking command. Down goes Arn Anderson at the hands of Hogan. They're going after everybody. They're going after the Dungeon of Doom. Well, I can see that the Dungeon of Doom and the four horsemen are now together, representing World Championship. Here comes the giant. Look out, NWO. Thank God for the giant. Never thought we would hear it. The giant is going to have their lunch. The giant is in the building. The giant. What is the giant? No, 
They easily beat down eight men. Although I guess, like I said, the excuse is that uh, those guys are worn down from the long match. Mm -hmm. So maybe the three on eight right. <laughs> numbers aren't as ridiculous. Hogan nails Randy Anderson in the face with a punch <laughs> yeah. right at the beginning of the whole thing. And uh, garbage immediately starts to be thrown towards the ring. By the way, the crowd is super hot for this whole thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and not only that, we get, because, you know, there's like the, the who when, when Hogan punches someone. Yeah. They do that for the referee. <laughs> and I thought that was awesome. The crowd pops as the Dungeon of Doom's crown jewel, the giant, walks sort of quickly down the aisle. By giant standards. Thank God for the giant, says Bischoff. Giant gets in the ring and looks around a bit before grabbing the barbarian and choke slamming him. What? Giant then hugs Kevin Nash and high fives Hulk Hogan. Macho Man runs down with a chair and gets the best of everyone in the NWO, except for Hogan, of course. When he swings the chair at Hogan, he whiffs and Hogan tackles him. They fight in the mat, but soon Nash and Hall are able to intervene. By the way, um, when it comes to like Randy Savage interfering or doing something like that, yeah. he does a great job of looking just completely out of control. Yes. Because he is swinging that chair like just at anyone. Doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> yeah. Hogan grabs the chair and nails Savage. The giant picks up Macho and chokeslams him. The balance of power has shifted, says Bischoff, and he laments Sting and Luger being tricked into leaving the building. So, ah, there's, there was a good reason, uh, maybe not for them stealing a cop car, but a good reason for the way that angle played out the way it did. Right. I kind of like that. I like that they took the time to, unlike Hogwild, give us a clear reason why Sting and Luger just can't help. Right. <laughs> They're off committing felonies. <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot on their plate right now. <laughs> Hogan drops the leg on Savage three times. Shades of Bash at the Beach. Trash. Which Shivani does mention, and I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Trash is now everywhere. Hogan sprays NWO on Savage's chest, then rolls him onto his back, and Hogan retrieves a second can of spray paint from his pants, and this one is yellow, so they spray a, so they spray a big yellow stripe down the back of Macho Man Savage. So they spray a big yellow stripe down Savage's back. Heenan must have left when the NWO showed up, as I realized I had not heard from him in minutes. Yeah, he he announces, like, I'm getting out of here. This is not worth it for me. If you want to stay here, fine. But he runs off. Uh, I didn't even notice that. Uh, this in general, um, the announcing was good tonight. Mm -hmm. I have very few, like, funny notes, but I also have very few notes at all. The announcing was just kind of background noise in this one. Right, which I feel like more often than not, it should be. Yeah, it's sort of like being a lineman in the NFL. Like, right. if you're not getting noticed, you're doing your job. Yes. Eric and Iron Mike also run off as the NWO now approach the announce desk directly. Is there any question now? Who is the most powerful man in professional wrestling? Is there any question now? What is the most powerful organization in professional wrestling? We got a hold of the Giants. We straighten this head out, and now there's not four, there's not five. Mr. DiBiase, ha, 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 ha. Tell him, big man, I got a phone call while I was sitting home at my modest house. Ted DiBiase called me, and he says, I want to talk to you about business. Can you fly to Florida? I said, yes, I can. 
because I am about business. I walked into a 25,000 square foot home, the home of Hulk Hogan. There was that. Spit on it for me. Spit When I walked into this house, there wasn't one Harley Davidson in the garage. There were 20 Harley Davidsons. There wasn't one Mercedes. There was five Mercedes, a couple of Vipers. I walked around this big home and got dizzy. See you later, boys. Come on, big man. Anything less, come on. Dizzy walking around this mansion, a 25,000 square foot mansion. Brother, the time I turned around, everything somebody, I showed you, you can have. You wanted a part in Arnold Schwarzenegger's new movie, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, got it for you. And the bottom line is, brother, <laughs> just to quote somebody, a stupid little man, whether you like it or whether you don't. Like it. It's the best thing going today. The N.W. Oh, man. I sit down at a table. Nash is there first, and he grabs a headset to proclaim that they've shook up the world. Hogan says that they've straightened the giant's head out. Then he says that there's not four or five says Mr. DiBiase for some reason. Mm-hmm. He just goes, there's not four or five, Mr. DiBiase. And then he counts out to eight fingers, which seems like a random number, but <laughs> I guess we're going to get some more guys. <laughs> I, I don't really know where I, if that's just Hogan fucking around and being Hulk Hogan. Yeah. I only, I only caught him doing six. I didn't, I didn't realize he went up to eight. I believe he did. Okay. He then demands that the giant speak. Giant says that he was sitting in his modest house when he got a call from Ted DiBiase wanting him to fly to Florida to talk business. He says that he walked into Hogan's 25,000 square foot home, but then Hulk, who has wandered off to grab the Nitro logo from the desk that someone broke off earlier, Mm -hmm. he just interrupts the Giant, who he demanded speak. (laughs) He's quite literally upstaging the Giant as he's standing closer to the camera on the other side of the announce desk. Right. And he demands that the giant spits on the logo. Hogan, Nash, and the giant then theatrically do the like, tuh, tuh, like just the most cartoonish spitting yeah. imaginable. And the th- so the thing is, when the giant did it, I thought it would that looked it looked good. Yeah, because he just betrayed WCW, and look at that now right. he's now he's disparaging it. And then it was ruined by the the cartoonish way that everyone else does it. 
it's also just so annoying that here's okay he turned mm-hmm. it doesn't on its face make a ton of sense right and we'll talk about that a little, a little bit but uh but here's his chance to give a promo explaining why he did and hulk hogan is the guy who says tell them giant mm-hmm. and then hogan's ADD and need to be in the fucking spotlight. Can't let this guy talk for two and a half minutes. He has to make himself the center of attention mm-hmm. almost immediately. If I was in a guess, I would say that these endings are pretty much like go go over there and do your thing. Right. They're not really scripted out. But the thing is, Hogan needs to be scripted out. Right. Because if you don't, all he does is go into business for himself. Exactly. And he is not only is he upstaging the giant, he is making the giant look like his bitch basically yes <laughs> like yeah we'll, we'll get into it once this is over though the giant talks about how many harleys and cars hogan has he starts to say more but the wcw guys finally got their shit together and approached the desk so the nwo go out to fight them some more they all brawl with chairs and such in the arena in front of the desk and it's a little more even than before since now it's uh, eight on five and one or eight on four i should say mm-hmm. the nwo has five but dibiase's not here fighting he's bleeding out in the back of a limo somewhere right he's dead so it's it's a little more even but the nwo still just easily wins the fight and giant just walks back and grabs his headset and keeps going with this promo mm-hmm. hogan is still not going to let this guy talk though so he grabs a headset and interrupts again telling the giant that he can also live in luxury now that he's with them he says that the giant got a part in arnold schwarzenegger's new movie he says that the giant wanted a part in Arnold Schwarzenegger's new movie, and Hogan got it for him. Uh, this is referring, by the way, to Jingle All the Way, in which the giant appears as Huge Santa. <laughs> That's, of course, another connection to uh, Nitro, as the scenes for that movie were filmed at the Mall of America, where Nitro had its debut episode. Aha. Uh-huh. The giant actually looks pretty annoyed at Hulk, I thought. I thought he kind of rolled his eyes when Hogan starts interrupting more. Uh, but then as Hogan goes to end, he wants them to rip off uh, flares, whether you like it or whether you don't like it. Uh, oh, yeah. It's the hottest thing going or whatever. I forget the exact line. But right. so they, they do that in tandem. So then like they're having a little fun together mm-hmm. before they tip over the announce table and walk off. The NWO stands tall as the WCW guys literally slink off to the back. And that is how we end the very first year of WCW Monday nitro dave what did you think of that angle uh well i i felt like i was kind of getting into it right away but um this makes the giant like it drops him down a few pegs sure because i mean to me up until this point the giant was seen as like the number one opposition the one guy that could probably end the nwo by himself if he if he just had like a shot at hogan again right but instead, he's teamed up with the guys that 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 basically took everything in wrestling away from him. And not only yeah. that, he, they clearly established a pecking order, which Hogan is above him too. Right. So not only is he just a member of the NWO, he's not even a primary member of the NWO, primary member of the NWO. I feel like he's actually below all three of them by the way that they just treat him. Like I agree. You know. We're paying you a bunch of money, but you're just kind of a big, dumb animal. So we'll tell you when to talk and when to stop talking and what to say and that sort of thing. It just, this whole episode went a long ways in destroying or tearing down a lot that they built up for the giant, in my opinion. I absolutely agree with you. Um, He is going to be 
fourth fiddle in that NWO. Yes. Um, and that's that's just on camera. Like behind the scenes, he can't politic with those guys. Like mm-hmm. at least as an opposing force, even if he kept losing to them, he still would have had the designation of facing them and working the programs with them. Mm-hmm. Like even if he was the guy who kept getting beat by Hogan, at least he's working with Hogan and being the top. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, and, and it's the, just it's ridiculous to and if he kept facing him, it would always be like they would need the whole group to beat him, too. Yeah, they they should have kept him outside the group and he they should have made a thing where he had to beat Hall. He had to beat Nash. He had to beat whoever whatever new members they introduce. Right. To like work his way up to Hogan. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's just one. That's a fantasy booking uh, uh, an idea that I think would work better. But yeah, uh, we'll see where this goes, I suppose. Now, according to Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer, the plan had been to duplicate Lex Luger's surprise appearance on the very first Nitro by having Davey Boy Smith make a surprise debut here to join the NWO, which would have made a lot more sense given that the whole idea of the group to this point has been guys coming over from the WWF. Yes. We told you months ago how Davey Boy had told the WWF that he did not want his deal to roll over to a new contract. Well, since then, both WCW and the WWF have wooed Davey Boy Smith, and four days prior to this Nitro, he finally made his choice and signed a new WWF deal. Dave claims that when DiBiase did his five hand gesture last week, WCW was sure that Davey was coming in. But when Vince got word of it, he and WWF lawyer Jerry McDevitt called Davey in a rage as they believed that the Bulldog had verbally committed to a new deal with them. Now, whether they convinced Davey that they were right and that he was like legally bound to sign with them or whether he just decided to stay in the company where he had, uh, you know, his two of his brother in laws, Mm -hmm. I think three. I think Neidhart was working as who at the time. Yeah. Um, You know, so whether it was just that and the 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 money would probably work out similar because of all the licensing that WWF can offer, even though WCW is offering more money and kind of a like flat guaranteed basis. Mm -hmm. Um, He would have worked less dates, of course, but. For some guys, they liked working all those dates, so that might have not been a factor for him. Who knows? Who's to say uh, what exactly went into that decision? But Davey decided to stay with WWF. And, I mean, just like thinking about it, and I mean, obviously the NWO was a big thing. Right. And just starting off, and him joining the NWO would have been uh, a big career move for him. But yeah. really seeing how his career goes like the next year or so when the Hart Foundation really get going the next year... It's it's hard to say that he would have had a better career in WCW. I agree. Uh, Dave goes on to say that then, and I don't know that this makes a ton of sense, but after Davey Boy didn't work out, they decided it was going to be the Giant, but they still wanted to make a big splash, so they were going to have a surprise and debut two new NWO members tonight, uh, one being the Giant and the next being uh, Sean Waltman, mm-hmm. who we've of course known is coming in as a member of the NWO for a while but he's just being put in legal limbo yeah. by WWF's lawyers. Uh, and WCW is just there. You know, they've got the ongoing litigation right now. So their their decision is to play things extremely safe. Uh, so that's the reason why Waltman still hasn't made his debut. Now, I like this. This is a direct quote that I want to give from the Observer. I think that uh, really gets nailed here. Um, I don't know that this is necessarily true, but it certainly seems very true to me. Uh, so this is from Dave Meltzer. 
The plan to make the horsemen look like jobbers wasn't the original angle, but a revised angle came up with by Hogan, which has caused at least a few of the wrestlers to complain that once again, Hogan is booking for his own ego rather than for business. The original plan was to create a situation where the horsemen would be involved in a scenario where they would jump and run off Hall and Nash, and, a, and about that time, Hogan would arrive and be by himself. As he was being beaten on, the Giant would then come out for the finishing touches on Hogan, but instead Giant would chokeslam all the horsemen. However, Hogan refused that scenario and came up with the one that was used. Hmm. So um, Dave kind of says that we're back in the, like, right now business is up, the ratings are up, everyone's happy, but there is a frustration in the back that they're back to what we dealt with when Hogan was around the first time, Mm -hmm. which is they make all these plans, they have these good ideas or what they believe are good ideas, and then Hogan shows up on Monday and says, that's not going to work for me, and exerts his creative control, Mm -hmm. so that even though the original plan called for him to look strong at the end of it, his new version has him looking strong the entire time. Yes. He was never really in danger, and then he also wins. (laughs) 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 So that's the end of our show. Dave, what did you think of this episode overall? Um... All, all, all things considered, I the the way that it came off at the end, I really liked it because it was just chaos. Yeah, and I th- I I'm sure that's what they were going for. Um, I thought it was kind of weird that they like right at the very end they still played the nitro music. Yeah, I think it would have been kind of a better look if they if it just kind of like cameras went off. I agree. Um, but I. Right now, we're still. It's still very fresh. This idea of the NWO coming in, creating havoc, and just having this mess uh, to end a Nitro. So right. it's not. I don't feel like it's getting old yet. Yeah. But um, it certainly will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I feel like that the that WCW should have looked a lot stronger. Right. Um, especially when it's just like when the rest when one group is outnumbering the other, they should be winning. Right, and I think viewers would would uh, find that believable too. Even if even if it is Hogan, Hall, and Nash, they're still facing eight other guys. Right, um, and as a viewer, I did feel like that there was a, way too much attention being put to Hogan. Sure, um, especially like when the Giants talking, like Hogan is. If anything, he's standing in front of him, in front of the camera. He's lying on the table. Making sure the focus is on himself. Yes, yes. And and, and like I said, he's literally upstaging people. He's placing himself right at the forefront of every shot. Mm-hmm. He's a smart fucking guy. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, and <laughs> especially considering after his uh, recorded promo earlier, he he's coming across as a guy that is extremely uncool. Yes, yes. And everyone else in the group is cool. Yeah. And I want to see more of the cool guys and not the <laughs> less cool guys. And to me, the more when you see the NWO and it's focused on Hogan, it's 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 taking away the cool factor from them Yeah, when it's just him. Especially if it's, oh, it's him feuding against Savage or Flair or these other guys we see him fight a thousand times. Right. It's not, it's, it doesn't, fe- it's starting to not feel so fresh as far as like NWO versus WCW. Sure. And they need to, and like you were saying, as far as David Boy Smith, that would have I, that would have been awesome, obviously. Yeah. There would have been some fresh matchups in there. Right. But I mean, we, we just, to me, it feels like the, on the horizon, we're going to be seeing a lot of the same matchups we had before. 
especially given that they had like this two month lead up of Hogan versus Randy Savage, a Halloween Havoc, yeah. which Hogan versus Savage, we've seen that how many times? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but um, other than that, I mean, I feel like this show provided a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, I I I really do not like the Nick Patrick angle because I just feel like that they don't know how to how to present it properly. I really liked it. It felt like this week, maybe last. It it definitely feels like it's starting to stall out and get repetitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked it at first, and Patrick is such a good promo, surprisingly so. Yeah, uh, that it was really working for me for a while. Now they need to escalate it or like get to whatever the payoff and where he just goes full heel. Right. They need to do one of those options. Yeah, like the shit or get off the pot exactly. sort of thing. And in this and this week it does I feel like there is like maybe the, there's one or two many two one or two many weeks before fall brawl. Yeah. Um so the, I mean cuz this this kind of felt like a show that they could could have been the lead up to fall brawl. Sure. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do next week because I mean, either cause you, you feel like they have to escalate things or the WCW has to retaliate some way. Uh-huh. So it looks like a competitive matchup at fall brawl. So yeah, Dave Meltzer says in the wrestling observer, in his words, it's imperative that WCW comes out on top next week. Right. And I would agree with that phrasing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even if it was, if it played out how that original booking was, I mean, they the NWO still got the giant, right. so they're clearly on top. So hopefully, and I just I don't remember how the next week goes. Yeah, I, I can I could easily see the NWO still going on top next week. Yeah, just because that's the way that the booking seems to be going. But I I'm really hoping WCW has a strong showing next week in order to make that matchup seem like a legitimate one. All right, well, let's move on to our Raw recap. Nitro ran unopposed this evening as Monday Night Raw was preempted for the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament. Raw instead aired a special edition on Friday, September 5th, billed as Raw Championship Friday, which we are covering as part of our special four-episode one-year celebration. You are currently listening to the first episode where we cover this episode of Nitro. Tomorrow, I will be releasing our review of ECW Hardcore TV that originally aired in syndication on Tuesday, September 3rd. The day after that will come our coverage of Raw Championship Friday. And then finally, on the fourth day, I will release a conversation-based episode that Dave and I are going to record where we are going to talk about the first year of Nitro, all of our favorite matches, moments, promos, angles, uh, and just sort of where we see the state of wrestling after one year of Nitro being on the air. So uh, I'm really excited. Uh, we've recorded the ECW and Raw episodes. We're going to record the uh, year-end episode in just a moment here when we wrap on this. I'm going to have to edit all those. Uh, so by the time you're hearing this, it won't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now I am just sweating how much work I have <laughs> right. editing all those hours of audio. Uh, <laughs> because for some reason, I just really like the idea of releasing them four consecutive days. Yeah. Um, so which means basically I have to have them all done on the same day because otherwise I'll start panicking. Like I can't just yeah put myself in a position where I have to do it. So I just yep. need to get them all done at the same time. In our ratings roundup, of course, that means Raw's rating will cover when we get to there on uh, Friday. Mm-hmm. Nitro tonight got a 4.3, so they're doing great. <sighs> they are sailing on. 
I believe last week was a composite 4.2, so they're up even from last week. Mm-hmm. Things are looking great on the ratings front for Nitro. And that brings us to a little segment that we call Observe This. Observe this, brother! This is what we call a rag sheet. Hey, remember earlier we mentioned uh, Kevin Green? Yep. Well, Meltzer reports that after getting a sack in the uh, opening game against the Atlanta Falcons, Kevin Green strutted around like Ric Flair. And several news organizations, national news organizations, even correctly reported it as a Ric Flair strut. So that's nice. I don't know. (laughs) That's all I got. That's not all I got. That's just a note. He did against the Atlanta Falcons. (laughs) Halloween Havoc tickets went on sale August 31st in Las Vegas with a major autograph party with Randy Macho Man Savage, Bobby Heenan, and Gene Okerlund all present. As uh, mentioned on Nitro tonight, WCW set an all-time dollar record for first-day sales, doing approximately 94000 although it should be noted that there's only 2,000 tickets uh, sold at the MGM Grand because the first row of seats went almost immediately and were all priced at about $100 a piece. So they set a dollar record because the tickets were just so goddamn expensive. Right. Um, but I, they're, they're, I think that's a really small venue, if I remember right, so it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, not like they should be concerned that they're selling a low amount. I think by the time they get to Halloween Havoc, it'll be pretty much a sold-out house. And it's Vegas, so there's going to be a lot of comps and, mm. and whales, as we say. in the <laughs> and We say, because I'm deep in the gambling business. Yes. <laughs> WWF's weekly pay-per-view idea that we've talked a little bit about uh, has been completely dropped, as it was not feasible on a number of levels. <laughs> Several sources indicate that despite stories to the contrary, Bret Hart is going to be returning to the WWF to wrestle Steve Austin on the Survivor Series pay-per-view show on November 17th, happening at Madison Square Garden. Bret Hart has told some friends that he was offered substantially more money by WCW, uh, which, of course, you can kind of see, as we mentioned again and again in Wrestling with Shadows, Mm -hmm. Uh, but he felt that going to the company would be a step down, and that's so hilarious to me (laughs) that they offered him hundreds of thousands more dollars but he was like "Eh, that'd be a big step down for me to be in your rinky dink (laughs) promotion (laughs) oh god i mean it's i mean like wrestling's per heart's life i mean the fact uh, that just shows that it's like it's not about money for him right uh we will have a lot more to say on bret hart uh there's a big announcement that comes up on raw championship friday so make sure to listen to that episode german bodybuilder akim albrecht has signed with the wwf uh, you, any guess what character he's going to debut as? Akeem Albright. Um, is he Kurgan? He is the future legend known as Brackus. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Jim Helwig filed an unfair termination and trademark infringement lawsuit against Titan Sports on August 28th, uh, <laughs> stemming from his dismissal after missing three house shows at the end of June. It's not fair you fire me because I didn't show up for work. <laughs> My dad died, but you hated your dad. Yeah, but he died. <laughs> it was a year ago. A minor scandal erupted on America Online recently as oh. WWE... <laughs> I know. <laughs> I included this just because it's fun to talk about the, that kind of stuff. I mean... I- when I think of it, I always think of that, that gif of uh, Shawn Michaels trying to type oh, on the computer. Yes. 
Uh, the WWF has an exclusive deal with AOL, much like WCW and CompuServe, which is so perfect mm-hmm. that WWF is with America Online, the one that everyone has, yeah. and WCW has CompuServe, which that one weird kid in your neighborhood has. <laughs> <laughs> right, and the majority of people that are listening to this are probably like, CompuServe rings a bell. <laughs> Well, anyway, WWF was able to get a negative editorial that had been posted on AOL in their wrestling section. Uh, They got it removed, as well as any non-WWF-related message boards were taken off of the platform. User anger got so great that Vince McMahon personally told WWF Vice President of Worldwide Properties Bob Mitchell to do whatever he had to do to make the problem go away. So AOL and WWF issued a joint apology and the non-WWF sections of the site were reinstated. Hmm. Uh, so, Dave, that brings us to one last thing. What was your segment of the night? Uh, well, I'm going to go with a match instead of a segment this time. All right. And I will go with Chris Jericho versus Dean Malenko. I, I went with that especially because, like we mentioned and like Jericho himself mentioned, mm-hmm. his debut did not go as well as he wanted or it just did not have the impact that he would have liked. And this way, I felt like it really made up for some of the, like, they took a couple steps backward, but he, they made a, a, quite a few steps forward this time. And, and it was also, I thought it went really well and didn't even have to have him give a promo either, which, um, you know was helpful because last week's promo wasn't even that interesting either. So yeah. um, long story short, uh, Jericho versus Malenko was my match segment of the night. All right. I'm going to go with the giant uh, heel turn. Certainly not the idea uh, that I'm rewarding here, but the execution. Mm-hmm. I thought the way the angle played out on television uh, with the giant coming out and then doing the choke slam. The NWO running wild, chasing the announcers out, having mm-hmm. their little moment of goofing off on the headsets. I thought that all worked really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, like we've we've already covered the pitfalls in the logic and the idea that WCW needs a big win coming up next week. Yep. But in terms of just if I sat down and watched this uh, hour and a half of wrestling programming, what was the thing that I made the biggest impression on me in a positive way? I'm going to say that angle. I thought that angle just as a TV moment worked really well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I Like I was saying before, it was uh, it was chaotic, but it, that's the way it should have come across. Um, and I yeah, I thought it was really well executed overall. I mean, aside from the fact that, you know, Hogan going into business for himself, the idea that not only did they invade the, the commentating table, but, but they just like, they legitimately wrecked his stuff too. Right. And it wasn't just like, you know, pushing it over, but it was like tearing it up and just making, you know, making a laughing stock out of, uh, of nitro. Um, yeah, I thought it went really well. Like I said, I think it would have been a be- nice little touch if they didn't have the music play at the end for nitro. Um, but other than that, I have nothing else to complain about as far as execution is concerned. Uh, as for my MVP, I was tempted to give it to the giant, Uh, But I think I'm actually going to give mine to Chris Jericho for showing that after kind of a disappointing uh, in-ring Nitro debut, Mm -hmm. he really came out uh, firing on all cylinders, made it clear that he was, you know, willing to do what it took, that he's hungry. Um, So I'm giving him my MVP for his great performance tonight. Dave, who was your MVP? My MVP I'm going to give to the random police officer (laughs) that did not go after his own cop car. 
um, because his reaction to the whole scene was our reaction to the whole scene. <laughs> very confused, but and kind of not very interested in what happens next. Because, yeah, I mean, the, the announcers didn't even give this give us this impression that, like, you know what, stealing a police car is probably going to be a big deal for them. Right. Um, and like you said, I get the feeling that next week we won't really hear much of it. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. I do want to remind you, uh, like I said, that there will be new episodes coming on this feed uh, over the next three days. So look forward to all those. Let us know what you think. Send us uh, all your tweets, all your Snapchats, Snapchat all your dick pics over to us. (laughs) Just write your opinion of the show on your dick and send it to our Snapchat. Which we don't have, by the way. <laughs> yeah, God, no. <laughs> Thank God, because someone probably would at very least Photoshop someone else's dick right. with their thoughts on our show. Yeah. You suck, written on a dick, sent to, <laughs> sent to our Snapchat. <laughs> so we will see. <laughs> we will see you again and again and again right here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro. WCW, what the big boys wear. American male, Marcus Alexander Pagwell, and these brand new stonewashed denim nitro shirts, they are exciting. I'll tell you what, they look great, they feel great, and the ladies love them. The ladies love them? I like it. Can I have that one right now? Right now. I like it. Let's do it. Get your Monday nitro blue denim shirt for just $39.95. 